السلام عليكم ورحمة الله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين لا سيما بقية الله في الأرضين أجل الله تعالى فرجه الشريف First we offer our condolences to Imam Mahdi أجل الله تعالى فرجه الشريف for martyrdom anniversary of Imam Zainul Abidin السلام and we humbly say to our Imam that we share with you your pain and suffering for this great loss. There is a hadith from Imam Zainul Abidin that is quoted in Tuhaf al page 282. A very beautiful and comprehensive hadith. And as you will see in the beginning of the hadith, there is very uh, remarkable statement. Imam Zain al-Abidin says, Thalathun Man kunna fihi min al-mu'mineen Kana fi kanafillah Wa'adhallahu allahu yawma al-qiyama Fi zilla arshih Wa'amanahu min faza'il yawma al-akbar I think the greatest concern that we have is what is going to happen to us on the Day of Judgment are we going to receive support from Allah or we are going to be questioned and challenged by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and if, if Allah questions and challenges someone then they have no answer Imam says there are three things that if a mu'min or mu'mina has got them Allah would be on their side and Allah would be their protector and supporter they would benefit uh, the shadow of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they would feel safe on the day of judgment there are three things that whoever among believers has got them would be under Allah's support and care and on the day of judgment Allah with the closest thing to him which is his arsh, his throne would provide him with shadow this shadow is shadow of support this shadow would protect from the heat of the fire and from worries of separation from Allah if you are under Allah's shadow or shadow of his ash means you are in a very close position to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah would make him safe with respect to the cry and worries of the greatest day which is the day of 
So, what are those three things? As you see, those three things are not something about Aqeedah, because this person is already a mu'min. It's not something about certain practices, because a mu'min would, of course, have, you know, salat and zakat and sawm and hajj, etc. These three cannot be anything other than three qualities, three characteristics that every moment should be equipped with. And these are the signs of Iman, Assalamu Alaikum, bearing fruits. Iman is like a tree. And if Iman would not lead to these qualities, it means this tree has no fruits. And I am sad to say that in many cases, if not most of the cases, Iman is not that strong to bear these fruits. And therefore you see that Mu'minin, even among themselves, and also in relation to others, normally they don't exhibit these qualities, unfortunately. I say about myself. Number one. من أعطى الناس من نفسه ما هو سائلهم لنفسه. This issue of insult, fairness. Give to people what you expect from them. How do you want people to treat you? You must treat them the same way. Maybe on the surface we say, of course, I am, you know, respecting everyone, I am kind to everyone, you know. But this is the surface. Between you and Allah, uh, you cannot, you know, dismiss. Great chance that you expect from people much more than you are happy to give. Between husband and wife, between siblings, between neighbors, between colleagues, between a boss and, I don't know, employee, even between two enemies, if you have personal or, I don't know, other kinds of enemies, how much you expect and how much you give. There must be at least equal relation if it's not actually that you are giving them much more than you expect because a moment should be more giving and more forgiving than expecting and demanding but at least equal this insaf is very important and we have many hadith about insaf and sometimes i use this example to explain the difficulty of Ensaf. You know, if there is a court and you go to the court and you see that the judge is a friend or relative of the other party, what would you do? You say, I don't accept this court. 
because this judge is the, for example, uncle of this person. I have a case with this person and this is his uncle. Maybe there is a chance that he would not take the side of, I don't know, his nephew, but I cannot trust because there is great chance that he would actually may take the side. Sometimes unknowingly, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, people may take the side of people who are closer to them. So, you don't trust a court whose judge has a relation with the other party. It would be unbelievable if you go to a court and you see the person with whom you have a case, he's himself the judge. You would say, I don't want him to go into this court. Because the same person is judging. How can he be? Now, between us and people, who is the judge? Isn't it that we always judge between us and people? We are not going to a third party and say, you know, I have an issue with this person. Could you tell me I am right or this person? And normally, 99% we judge ourselves. And this is why 99% of the time, thank you very much, we are right and the other party is always right. No matter how good we are, how knowledgeable we are, how wise we are, we are always right and others are wrong. 99%. A person must be really, really very cautious and very muttaqi that at least 50% says, you know, I am wrong. I, I, I don't think you find it very common that people say I am 50% of the time wrong. Most of the time, I am right. Sometimes, you know, maybe, uh, even sometimes maybe just to please people, we say, you know, I apologize. I, this is the problem. So, we don't trust a court whose judge is either related or is the same person that we have a case with it. But in our day-to-day -day life, and even in our maybe religious life, in political issues, all the time we bring people to the court that we have put ourselves as the judge. If we have issue with other people personally, or if we have, I don't know, religious issues, sectarian issues, whatever, political issues, we force people to come to the court that we are the judge, and of course, we say, you are wrong, we are right. But a moment should have this much of self-control and this much of objectivity that would not take the side of himself or his family or children. You know, many times parents, upon hearing something from their children, they go to the school and complain as if their children are masum and whatever reports they say is okay. And they really believe. What is very sad is that even they believe in what they hear from a child, because this is my child. My child cannot make mistake, because I cannot make mistake. My child also is masoon like me. This is the problem. So, if we want that 
level of closeness to Allah that Allah would give us shadow of his arsh we have to work on this quality of insaf and if someone is munsif he would also have a very peaceful mind because you would realize that people are not as bad as we think it's not that you know people are always making mistakes people are not appreciative people are not kind no part of the problem if not most of the problem is me so you feel you are surrounded by good people but most of people think they are surrounded by bad people people who don't appreciate them people who don't see value in them so this is one quality the second quality so the first was about insult the second quality is a matter of muraqaba self monitoring imam put it in this way warajulun lam yuqaddim yadan wara wala rajlan hatta ya'lama annahu fi ta'atillah qaddamaha aw fi ma'siyah you don't stretch your hand for example for shaking hand for a deal for a contract for signing for holding something for taking something or your foot basically means you don't do anything unless first you check you check is this pleasing to allah or this is displeasing to allah is it ma'siyah or ta'ah a servant cannot do anything on his own i should see what my master wants from me like if i am an employee i cannot you know set up the policies and make things without consent of my manager or you know the people who own this business i need to observe their instructions so imagine from the time you wake up in the morning till you go to bed if for every decision for every word for every action every glance everything we hear we can consider is this pleasing to allah so i do it or not so i don't do it of course there is a higher level this is the first level of muraqaba but the higher level is that i only do things that are pleasing allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we don't have anything neutral i don't have any energy or time to waste in doing something which is not haram but is not going you know like for example when you have exam and you have to prepare for exam you must not read things that divide your attention also you must not read things that may not divide your attention but is not useful is not relevant is not related you have to just focus on your task so a higher level of muraqaba is we just try to do something that is good something which is pleasing allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but at least we can start with this not to do anything which is going to make allah angry with me is the minimum if something is neutral look but 
not to fail to do any wajib, not to do any haram, this is the second requirement. The third quality, وَرَجُلٌ لَمْ يَعِبْ أَخَاهُ بِعَيْبٍ حَتَّى يَتْرُكَ ذَلِكَ الْعَيْبِ مِنْ نَفْسِهِ I would not blame anyone for something that I may have. There is a bad habit that I have, but I don't see it in myself. Or even if I see, I don't bother about it. But as soon as I see this in other people, I am quick in blaming them. This is not fair. This is not objective. And this is not productive because it creates only negativity. If I was paying attention to my fault, I was able to sort it out so I become a better person. But I forget my own fault, let it remain and grow, and then expect from other people to uh, have no such problem. This means then our relation is going to become problematic. Then Imam alayhi salam, Imam Zainul Abidin said, وَكَفَى بِالْمَرْءِ شُغْلًا بِعَيْبِهِ لِنَفْسِهِ عَنْ عُيُوبِ النَّاسِ It is sufficient for every person to be preoccupied with his or her own faults instead of looking into other people, people's faults. You know, we have similar hadith from Imam Sadiq alayhi salam that it is sufficient for a person to be busy with his own thoughts. This shows that we have so many problems that you would never find free time and say, you know, Alhamdulillah, I have finished everything about myself and now I can start fixing problems in people. We have so many things to do that had it not been that sometimes we have some social responsibilities and we have to do Amr Ma'roof sometimes, it was enough for us to, till end of our life, just to work on ourselves. But we have also as part of our personal duties, something like social obligations. But even that should be with awareness of our own taqwa and awareness of our own problems. Not like a police that we are, you know, monitoring people and, you know, correct them. We don't have, Amr al-Ma'ruf is not to police people. Amr al-Ma'ruf is a humble person who is trying to all the time improve himself and at the same time tries to help people. It's not like policing people. Because we never think we are in a position that allow ourselves to say to people, you are right, you are wrong. We are just telling them what Allah is. Indeed, we are delivering the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to them. If mu'min has a wilaya over another mu'min, al-mu'minun wal-mu'minat ba'adhuhum awliya'u ba'ad, it is given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Otherwise, I as a person even cannot say to a bird what to do. You know, who am I to dictate to a bird or, you know, to... But I can be delivering and reminding the message of Allah to other people. This is what I can do. I don't have any authority of my own. So, these three important qualities 
are fruits of Iman, are fruits of Taqwa. If we want to see, sometimes people say, you know, how can we evaluate ourselves? How can we make sure we are on the right track? How can we make sure that, inshallah, we would have a good position in the hereafter? I think this is excellent way of evaluating ourselves. See how fair you are. For example, tonight you can you know, take some time and see how many times in the last week you have admitted your mistakes. How many? It's very rare, unfortunately, that we admit our mistakes, our shortcomings. How many times we blame people and rush to blame people instead of blaming ourselves? Or how much we are constantly observing will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and doing muraqabah? These are three things that are fruits of iman, fruits of taqwa. And you know, as you see, when it reaches the level of virtues, then it's not that much a matter of Sunni, Shia, Muslim, Christian. You know, these aqa'id and practices help us, prepare us. And if you have right aqidah, right practices, you are going to be faster and, you know, better. But in the end, you have to become a good person. Your humanity inside you must be virtuous and if you don't have such thing and someone from another mazhab has such qualities so he is more successful not that our mazhab is bad but we had the best guidelines but we didn't end up with reaching these rules we, we were supposed to have much better and much more of these fruits but if we don't have these fruits and someone with a, for example, an old version of guidelines has reached this point. He is more successful. It seems that then he has made more efforts. I didn't make equal efforts or even adequate efforts. So this is one beautiful hadith that I wanted to share. And the second and last hadith from Imam Zayn al-Abidin, which is very much connected, but looks at this issue uh, from a minimalistic approach. So this was to reach very high level of nearness to Allah and be under Allah's direct care. This one is about how to be saved. So it's like minimum. If you don't have these things, you would not be saved. Thalathun munjiyatun lilmu'min. Imam Zain al-Abidin says there are three things that saves a mu'min. And you know, our ulama in akhlaq uh, many times talks about munjiyat and mubiqat. Mubiqat are those things that destroy. Munjiyat are those things that save. Sins are mubiqat. Zulm is one of the mubiqat. Number one, to save your tongue from going after people 
and backbiting them. If we do riba of people, we are not saved. To be saved, we have to protect our tongue. Number two. وَإِشْغَالُهُ نَفْسَهُ بِمَا يَنْفَعُهُ لِآخِرَتِهِ وَالدُّنْيَا To make your nafs busy with what is beneficial for you in dunya or akhirah. We don't have enough time to waste by doing harmful things or useless things. But if you look at, you know, modern life, actually most of the time, we are at least wasting. We are not that product productive in our time management. We have lots of time that we use it on, I don't know, uh, at least I can say things which are not serious, things which are not helpful, which are not productive, which are not helping. We are just keeping ourselves busy. Uh, once I heard something uh, from a speaker and it remained in my mind, it was a very important point, that during the time of uh, occupation of or colonialism in North Africa, one of the European officers asked a Bedouin, how much takes you to go from this place to, for example, another place, by your camel. And he said, for example, three days. Then with a sense of pride, he said, but with my car, I go in three hours. Then that Bedouin said something very important. He said, what do you do with those hours that you save? Nowadays, we rush, rush, rush. But then, after we finish something, what you are going to do? For example, you say, if I walk, it takes one hour. Let me go by car. It takes 10 minutes. Okay, then what do you do with those 15 minutes? Are you doing something useful? Okay. But if you are not going to do something useful, and then, you know, you finish your job quickly, and then you have nothing to do, and you just waste it on watching, for example, TV, or, you know, doing something useless, at least that was an exercise that you could do. In the past, people had difficult life, for example, you know, in villages, you know, they had to walk sometimes kilometers to reach their farm, and then work on the farm, and then come back. The body was very busy, but it is amazing that when your body is, you know, really worked out, how comfortable is the soul? And when the body is not working, the soul is also like being trapped. So, a woman should make himself or herself busy with what is beneficial. At least for dunya. If it's not for akhirah, at least for your dunya. But for dunya, not in the sense of you know, just collecting money in the sense that something that makes your life in dunya more meaningful. 
و طول البکا علا خطیعته This is منجی One of the منجیات is long crying over your خطیعه Not long crying only for for example problems There are people who cry too much for their problems. For example, you know, if they are ill or poor or have ill people or I don't know, family issues, you know, they cry, cry, cry. Okay, but how much you have cried over your own nafs? Abki Allah nafsi. We have to cry over our own personal tragedies. We have to cry over things that we can change. If I cry over what you are supposed to change, what's the benefit? Just makes me maybe depressed. But if I cry over things that I were supposed, was supposed to do and I didn't do, this cry gives me energy to change myself. This cry shows that I'm really sad. But if I have lots of problems and I am okay, and then I cry about external illnesses or tragedies or poverty or zol, this is not enough. Tulul buka. And even if one doesn't say al buka, he says tulul buka ala khatiyate. This is also something that unfortunately in modern life is missing. In, you know, in this liberal materialistic life, do you, They are not familiar at all with this concept of crying over your moral, uh, you know, failure, moral problems, over your sins. Actually, they don't like crying. And if they cry, they cry, you know, for superficial reasons. But in our culture and the culture of all the prophets uh, and messengers of Allah, Crying is a very beautiful aspect of the life of a mu'min. And those who were closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they were crying more. This is the sign of softness and tenderness of the heart. This is the sign of a strong love. This is the sign of a strong will. Therefore, it gives lots of energy and it can save. And one of the things that Imam Zainul Abedin himself was very well known for was his cries. He was Bakka, he was a person who was crying. Part of the reason for his crying was crying when he remembered the tragedy of Karbala. And because Imam alayhi salam had witnessed the journey of Abu Abdullah salam, so all the way from Medina to Mecca and from Mecca to Karbala he was with Imam Hussein salam. so he was very much uh, going through all those uh, days and nights that Abu Abdullah went through and saw the loneliness of his father. So I just want to say people only talk about, for example, Ashura afterwards, but 
Imam Zainul Abidin is aware of everything even before. And then the tragedy of Ashura, he was there, he was present, and also he was especially, I think, uh, broken in heart that he was not able to help. He was very ill, and as you know, when he heard the cry of Imam Hussein for help, with difficulty he wanted to go out, and Imam Hussein asked Lady Zainab to take him back. So it must be remaining always a kind source of uh, regret that why I was not able to do anything. And then after the martyrdom of Imam and his companions, the tragedies got another dimension and another angle. It was no longer a matter of killing, but it was something that for Ahlul Bayt is worse than killing, and that was humiliation and targeting their honor. Because, you know, Imam Hussein salam says, uh, So Imam Hussein was happy to die and to keep his dignity. And the tragedy of Lady Zainab and Imam Zainul Abdina afterwards was that it was not that their physical life was targeted, their honor was targeted by people in Kufa, on the streets, on the roofs, people celebrating, taking such people to someone like Ibn Ziyad. If dunya was run in the right way, someone like Ibn Ziyad should not be even daring of asking permission to visit them. Yeah? Who is Ibn Ziyad to go and you know, visit Lady Zainab, even if Lady Zainab is her own home? Such person with such wishes heart and eyes and all the bad things that he has should not even go and visit her in the house of lady. And dunya is so upside down that now they force lady Zainab to go to the place that he is now in power and had. So this issue was very, very difficult for uh, Ahlul Bayt that their honor and dignity was targeted. But alhamdulillah, they managed to act in the way that although the enemy had all the power, physical power and all the cruelty, in every meeting it ended with more izzah and honor for Ahlul Bayt and more humiliation for the enemy. So their swords and their power and soldiers could not save them from people seeing the difference. But they wanted to humiliate them, but they ended up with himself being humiliated when people saw the contrast. Look at the sermons of Imam Zainul Abidin and Imam uh, and uh, sorry Lady Zainab, and what Ibn Ziyad said or what you know Yazid said, you know such silly and stupid things that they said compared to these historical sermons that they made.
So, Imam Zain al-Abidin had also this aspect, all the physical pain, all the difficulties of the journey from Karbala to Kufa, Kufa to Sham, Sham to Medina, and maybe on the way or later to Karbala, but also seeing that the dignity of Ahlul Bayt is being targeted and had to defend this. So, since this took several months at least, if not more than a year, if for example, Arba'in was the next year, so several months of constant pain and constant, uh, you know, cruelty of the enemies and, you know, the shadow of the swords of enemies can never be forgotten. No one can forget such experience. And for sure, Imam Zainul Abidin, as an imam, as a person who had lots of love for Abu Abdullah and for Ahlul Bayt, could not forget this. So this was very natural that whenever Imam remembered the tragedy of Karbala cried, whenever he saw a baby, apparently, you know, they, according to what we understand, you know, was reminded of Ali Asghar, you know, whenever he was given water or was drinking water, he was crying. These were not things that Imam was doing with a kind of plan. They were not planned. They were natural. They were outcomes of deep pain in the heart that naturally was bringing it. But what is amazing, and this is something that we have to learn from Ahlul Bayt, is that this much pain didn't make any of them depressed. Did any of them, you know, become despaired? Any of them isolating themselves, say, okay, now till end of my life, I have to, you know, go and have a very, you know, private life, no longer dealing with people, no longer meeting anyone, no longer talking to anyone. No. Imam, as an imam, played a very active role. But the means he chose for his role were means which were suitable with this pain and also suitable to the level of freedom that they had and also suitable for the problem of that society that needed a spiritual revolution, needed a spiritual reform because no longer it was a matter of some mistakes in aqa'ibs or some mistakes in politics, people were losing their humanity and it needed a transformation. So this is why you see Imam wisely focused on dua, something that enemy cannot stop, something that could be helping all the people who are suffering to be getting energy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and hope and something that Imam could invite easily everyone else to join and transform themselves. So Imam did amazing job in this uh, period of his life. But unfortunately the enemies could not see uh, even this very a spiritual life of Imam alayhi salam because it seems that this is a 
general pattern that people who are in darkness, they are not just happy to be in darkness. Light annoys them. People who are living in the light, they love more light. As Mu'manin on the Day of Judgment, Allah says, Nuruhum yas'a bayna aydihim wa bi'aymanihim. But also still they say, Rabbana atmam lana nurana. If you are in light and you have experience of light, you want more. Like someone who has tasted sweetness of salat, wants to do more salat. But if someone is in darkness, if someone, for example, has not tasted sweetness of salat, even seeing people who say salat annoys them. Those who are in darkness, when they see someone has light, they cannot tolerate. They develop some kind of hatred towards good people. And this is why Allah says, يُرِيدُونَ لِيُطْفِئُوا نُورَ They are not just happy to be far from light. They want to make sure that no one else has also light. This is the problem. They want to extinguish this light so that no one else has this light. Therefore, they plan for killing of Imam Zainul Abidin alayhi salam. And uh, Abdul Malik was advised to kill Imam Zainul Abidin alayhi salam. But historians say that he said, you know, I don't want to get more involved in the blood of uh, you know, Alawites and Fatimites. But then Walid, Walid ibn Abdul Malik, when he was Khalifa, he had so much of hatred and enmity towards Ahlul Bayt and towards Imam Zain al-Abideen that said, I cannot live without killing Ali ibn al-Husayn. And either he sent some poison to Hisham or uh, Hisham did this anyway, uh, for sure, according to something that Kaf Ami and others have mentioned, he had a role in approving and planning this. And I would like to share with you something about the last part and last hours of the life of Imam Zaynul Abidin alayhi salam, when Imam was poisoned. So it's, it's said that in the night of Imam's martyrdom, when the poison had affected the body of Imam alayhi salam, alayhi marrat. This poison was very strong and three times Imam alayhi salam became unconscious of course, physically. And this pain was so much that Imam salam was moving his feet and was turning uh, around or towards himself from the heat of the fever and 
Alhamdulillahilladzi sadaqana wa'adah wa awrathana al-ard natabawwa'u minal jannah haythu nasha' fa ni'ma ajrul alim. The life of Ahlul Bayt up to the last moment is full of lesson. There is no part of their life that you cannot take lessons from. And you see, actually, very strong messages in the last moments of their life. So with this poison and this fever and pain, Imam salam is showing us his deep connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says, Alhamdulillahilladhi sadaqana wa'dah. Again, praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for fulfilling his promise. وَأَوْرَثَنَا الْأَرْضُ نَتَبَوَّأُ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ حَيْثُ النَّشَاءُ Allah has given us the land. We can take any place in heaven. فَنِعْمَ أَجْرُ الْعَامِلِينَ What a good is the reward of those who act, those who practice. And then he looked and turned to Imam Baqir السلام, and said, إني رأيت في غشية أبي الحسين واقفا وهو جسد بلا رأس. In my qashya, which was like a kind of short dream, I had my, or maybe a kind of mukashafa or maybe dream, Imam Hussein السلام, without head. This shows that Imam always had this uh, in his, you know, uh, memory that what had happened to the body of Imam Hussein alayhi salam. وَقَدْ In that dream or mukashafa, Imam saw also that uh, the uh, child of Imam Ali Asghar was also on his chest. And Imam Hussein told Imam Zainul Abidin, "Waladi Ali al-Ajal al-Ajal fa'inna muntazirun." My son Ali, come quickly! Come quickly! We are waiting for you. Then Imam Baqir alayhi salam says, "Fadhmani Abi ila sadrih al-Sharif baqiyan." Then my father. Embraced me and put my head on his chest while he was crying, and he said, "Ya bunayya, inna al-wa'da al-ladhi wa'idtu bih qad qarubah." The promise that I was given has approached me. Fa'usika fi nafsika khaira. Take care of yourself. This is the way I understand this sentence. Usika fi nafsika khaira. Take care of yourself. Wasbir ala al-haq. Wa in kana murran. This is the beauty of Ahlul Bayt. That up to the last moment, they tell us you have to be with haq. You have to be truthful. We don't have anything other than truth as our concern. If you are on the right side, we don't care about other things. If we are on the right side. But if we have everything but we have missed the truth, then we have nothing. So Imam says to Imam Baghir, 
Vasbir ala al-haq wa in kana murran. Even if it is bitter, be with the haq. Fa innahu la tuhaddithuni nafsi bi sur'at al-mawt. I feel my death is very quick. Then he said, Ya Bunaya, Usika Bima Ausani Behi Abi Al Husayn. Please look at this common advice of Imam Sajjad, Imam Hussein and Amirul Mu'mani. So Imam Sajjad says to Imam Badr, I am telling you what my father told me when he was dying, and he told me that his father, Amirul Mu'mani, before his death, gave him this advice. أُوسِيكَ بِمَا أَوْسَانِ بِهِ أَبِي الْحُسَيْنِ إِنْدَمَا أَسْبَحَ وَحِيدًا فَرِيدًا بِلَا نَاصِرٍ وَلَا مُعِينٍ وَقَدْ تَيَقَّنَ بِالْقَاتِ When my father was alone, had no helper, and he was sure about his death, the time of his death had come, دَخَلَ إِلَى خَيْمَتِي وَذَمَّنِي إِلَى صَدْرِ At that difficult time, Imam Hussein came to my tent and put my head on his chest as now Imam Zain al was doing with Imam Baqir and told me Amir al-Mu'mineen had given this advice to Imam Hussein what is that? Ya Bunayya إِيَّاكَ وَظُلْمَ مَنْ لَا يَجِدُ عَلَيْكَ نَاصِرًا إِلَّا اللَّهِ My dear son, be very careful about doing zulm and injustice to someone who has no helper other than Allah. Normally people, when they want to do zulm, see if that person has a supporter or not. If has supporter, they are careful. Because they can, you know, come after me. But if someone has no supporter, it's an easy target. You can do whatever with this person has no one to help him. But Ahlul Bayt salam say that this is the worst type of zulm. When someone has no helper except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this zulm is going to destroy you. And we Shia of Ahlul Bayt if we do anything, at least we have to make sure we don't do zulm. I think the first bad thing should disappear from life of followers of Ahlul Bayt is injustice. To any person, husband, wife, neighbors, colleagues, friends, enemies, our closeness to Ahlul Bayt is a matter of how much we are just. How much we are adil? How much we avoid zulm? Ya bunayya iyyaka wa zulm man la yajdu alayka nasiran illa Allah. Ya bunayya iza ana mittu fala yali ghasli ghayruk. My dear son, when I die, no one other than you should take care of my ghusl. فَإِنَّ الْإِمَامُ لَا يَلِي غَسْلَهُ إِلَّا إِمَامٌ مِثْلُهُ يَكُونُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ Because any imam who dies, the next imam should take care of his ghusl. 
Ya bunayya idha ana qadaytu nahbi faqassilni wa hannitni wa tfinni bi jivar ammi al-hasan. After I die, you do all the preparations for my burial and bury me next to my uncle Imam Hassan. فَقَعْدَ الْبَاغِرُ عِنْدَ رَأْسَ وَالِدْهِ وَالْدُمُوعُ جَارِيَةٌ عَلَىٰ خَدَّهِ Imam Baqir a.s. was there and Imam more than any other person has to be pleased with the decree of Allah, with the decision of Allah, has to just witness the sad departure of his father and it is said that when Imam Zainul Abidin was in that condition, he was reciting the Quran. And when the time of his departure came, Ashraqa min sharif nurun a very exceptional uh, light. Imam always has light, but that light of going back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was like a flash of light that appeared on the face of Imam Zainul Abid. I would like to share with you some couplets in Farsi and I try to explain and inshallah we will then listen to our brother. Dar kenar am Imam Zainul Abidin says next to my aunt Zainab, we both saw lots of pain and tragedies. I have mourned for my father, for my brothers, for my cousins and for companions of my father. Pisha Cheshmam Yusuf Karbo Balaye Khishra Darmiyan Chang Gorgan Biyaban Didam I saw with my own eyes how Hussein, the Yusuf of Karbala, was being attacked by the wolves of Karbala. Eid Qurbani Nabud Ammamiyan Karbala. It was not the day of Eid Qurban, so there was no time to offer sacrifice. But for us, the day of Ashura reminded of Eid Qurban as we Ahlul Bayt had to offer lots of sacrifices. Eid Qurban in Abud Ammamiyan Karbala. Barha dar pishe cheshmam Eid Qurban didam. 
روی هر نیزه ستاره خود نمایی نمود Upon every spear one star was shining بر فراز نیزه ها ساقی عدشان دیدم Above spear I saw Abu al-Fadl al-Aqbas Who was responsible for bringing water But he died with thirst Kufa wa bazm sharab wa bi wafai hayashan I have seen days of Kufa I have seen gatherings of sinful people with wine and khamr in sham khayzaran ra balab shaydan didam i saw yazid with his stick and the lips of uzay وای از شام بلا و از مصیبت های آن امام زین العابدین was asked which part of your journey was the most difficult part was it کربلا was it کوفه which part was the most difficult and he said اشام اشام The poet says, why as sham balawu as musibat ayan Dar kharab kudaki zaru parishan didam I saw in the ruins of Shav a daughter of Abu Abdullah, my little sister Whose heart was broken Allah la'natullahi ala al-qawm al-zalimin Wa sayyalamu al-ladhina zalamu Ayyamun ghalaban yan-ghalaboon Ya Hussain المصيبة بالعربي وأبيات بالعربي إن شاء الله بالنسبة للمصيبة العربية 